0: The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. If you're not already in Exodus chapter 20, you can open your Bibles and find Exodus 20. What would you think if someone walked up to the pulpit right now and snapped a picture of Brother Matt, then started talking to that picture as if it were me, went to Razorback Games with it, bought it ice cream, all those things that I like? You'd probably laugh, right? You you already are. You would probably think that person has lost his mind. Then you might cry because it's a little sad, and say, that's just a picture of Brother Matt. It's not actually him. Well, as absurd as that scenario sounds, that's exactly what idolatry is. In the ancient world, it was the accepted norm for a man to do exactly what we read a few moments earlier from Isaiah, to take some wood or a block of stone and carve it craft this into an image and say that's my God and then treat it as if it were his God and worship it. The second commandment that God gave the Jews was never to do that. Never make any images and worship them. We have a, a two-fold focus. I could have gone on and on. There could have been three or four or five sentences I wrote in the bulletin this morning, but the first thing I want you to consider as we go through this sermon is that since the universe cannot contain the true God, why would we ever think we could capture him with something we could build? Not to mention that anything we use to try and build it would be something he already made in the first place. And then next, in our modern world, especially here in America, just consider that idolatry is a lot sneakier than bowing down to an image. So I want to encourage you to guard your heart to ensure that nothing dethrones God from the top spot in your life because anything can become an idol so let's read exodus 20 let's read verse 3 through 6 and we'll focus on 4 through 6 verse 3 god said you shall have no other gods before me and then verse 4 you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Obviously, there's a connection between verse 3 and then the verses that we'll look at today. and We already talked about the unity of the list, so... That's not a surprise, but there are two different commands between verse 3 and then 4 through 6 here. Maybe we could think of it like this. Verse 3 commanded the Jews who to worship. They are to worship Yahweh alone. Verse 4 and 5 command how they were to worship him, or at least how they were not to worship him. They were never to use idols, even in their worship of Yahweh. And before we kind of dive into what this prohibition against idolatry entailed, I want to spend just a minute to just explain how prevalent idolatry was in the ancient world, uh, a little bit about what it entails, and just show you how much of a mockery idolatry is and how just completely backwards it is from true worship. So first, idolatry in the ancient world was completely normal. It's really difficult for us to understand a culture that is so foreign, so removed from us, not only in miles, but also in time. Idolatry in the ancient world was just as common as you coming to church today. It was completely accepted. It was expected. Last week, we talked about how polytheism was, was the norm. And polytheism and idolatry were married. They went hand in hand the Jews would have been the incredibly strange and different people by worshiping only one God and not using images to even worship that God. They would be the weird group. Second thing about idolatry is that it was very selfish because ancient worshipers, they would bring sacrifices to their idol gods because they believed that that obligated their God to do something for them. It was just manipulation That's all it was. Um, We might use the phrase a quid pro quo type thing. True worship is not like that. You are not here today worshiping God to earn points that you can redeem at a later time. That is not how it works. Our worship should be done out of love and out of thanksgiving for who God is. The next thing about idolatry is that it was very easy. And what I mean by that is Those false gods and goddesses had minimal expectations. One author wrote this, that idolatry minimized the importance of ethical behavior. Unlike Yahweh, who is giving his people his standard, that's what we're reading in Exodus 20. Idols did not have moral codes or covenants for their people to keep. All they had to do was bring their food, bring that sacrifice to the God, and it didn't matter what they did throughout the week. The God was happy with that sacrifice. That's not how Yahweh is, is He? <laughs> Yahweh, the true God, cared more about their lives than the animals they brought to the altar. The true God's far more demanding than idols. So idolatry was very easy. It was also very convenient, which just meant it was everywhere. You could serve an idol on a hill, on a mountain, in a valley, on a, in a grove. They had idol spots all over the place. Didn't require a lot of traveling. But if you know the Old Testament, God was going to give Moses instructions to construct a tabernacle and then later a temple. And they were instructed to travel to this central location to worship. So it took some effort to worship God. And then the next two things that are very important. Idolatry is very physical. Because you see your God. It's all sight. You can see your God. You can Touch him, you can feel him, you can take him with you. A lot of times these idols were crafted to to be beautiful. They tried to make them look pretty. So idolatry pleased the physical senses. That's not true worship at all. True worship is about faith. It's not about sight. True worship is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And then finally, the worship of idols was extremely immoral. Involved in worshiping these idol images in the pagan world, um, their worship services, if I can call them that, were filled with gluttony, drunkenness, and debauchery. Things that even our general world probably considers as sinful today, they considered it worship It's not just that they thought, well, it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. It was worship for them. They thought that's how they connected with their gods. And yet the Bible is clear that those things are sinful and have no place in our lives at all. And so it is against this backdrop of accepted idol worship that is immoral, materialistic, selfish, that God gave the Jews this command. They were to be completely different in the way they worship their God. Now, just like the commandment in verse 3, we talked about this last week, just a reminder, it's the same forceful language, the same emphatic language where this is an absolute and permanent prohibition, no exceptions, uh, total obedience is always expected beginning of verse 4 says, you will not or you shall not make for yourself a a carved image. And then we read the rest of the verse earlier. Since it is such a strong prohibition, we need to understand what was forbidden. Because people have misunderstood this for centuries. First, this was not a command that forbid the Israelites from using tools to build things. I know that sounds silly, but you can do some reading. Some people take that from the phrase carved image, that you had to use a tool to carve this. That's not the heart of this prohibition whatsoever. The Israelites were just fine to use tools when they built things. The Next thing is that this was not a command against artwork. This was not given to stifle human creativity. God has gifted many people throughout history with talent and, and ability to draw and paint and sculpt and all sorts of things like that. Say, well, Brother Matt, according to this verse, we better put up the modeling clay in the sketch pads. We, we can't construct any image of anything that God's, God's created. Is that what this is about? No. We've got a few people in our church that are really talented artists. They would be, they'd be having a lot of wasted talent if this was the case. This verse has nothing to do with art. It's not even condemning art that's inspired by the Bible. Some of the greatest art achievements in human history were inspired by biblical stories and biblical people. From Michelangelo's sculpture of David to the Sistine Chapel to da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, which is incorrect, but that's okay. Still a famous artwork. Pretty soon God would instruct the Israelites to sculpt certain things for the tabernacle. And along those lines, this command is also not condemning the use of visual aids. When I was uh, a child, we had flannel graphs. If you're under the age of 30, you probably don't know what a flannel graph is. Basically, it's a picture that could stick to a flat surface. That's all it is. It was a visual aid that helped children learn Bible stories. Nothing wrong with that. That's not what this is about. It's not prohibiting the use of tools, the creation of art or visual aids or anything like that. Look at the first part of verse five. This is prohibiting idolatry. Verse five says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. That clears up any misconception. The issue is not with tools or art or even crafting things that God has already made, okay? You're okay if you use Play-Doh with your children to craft elephants. You're not a sinner. say, well, according to Exodus 20, though, that's not what this is about. The issue is when that crafted image is worshipped as if it were a god. And as silly and as foreign as that sounds to us, that was the prevailing practice in the ancient world. A craftsman would take that block of wood or stone, he would carve it, he would mold it into something that God already created, it might be a bird from heaven above, it might be something on the land, an elephant, a cow, a bull, it might be some sort of fish, it might be a man, it might be a combination of those things, and that craftsman would say, that is my God, and I'm going to worship him. I want you to think about how backwards idolatry is. The person who created the idol begins to worship, uh, begins to worship his own creation. That's completely backwards from true worship. What true worship is, is when we, the created beings, look up to our creator and worship him. Idolatry happens when the creators, men, worship what they created instead of worshiping who created them. It's a complete reversal of God's design. And it's so serious that God, when he gave this command, he even gave reasons why this was a command. He didn't do that in verse three. He just said, don't have any other gods before me. This one he expounded a little bit upon. There's two reasons why this command is so serious. Part of the reason relates to God's character and the other part of the reason we'll see in a minute relates to the consequences of idolatry in our lives. Look at verse five again. Look at the first reason why this is so important. God said, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Is that surprising? Did you know that jealousy is an aspect of God's character? You may have known that, or maybe it's surprising. Typically, when we talk about someone being jealous, that's a bad thing, right? It's not good to be jealous when someone else gets the promotion, when someone else gets a new house or a new car, someone else makes a better grade than you on a test, and you're jealous of them. That's not good. We understand that. We should not ever be jealous of other people. God's jealousy is not like that. He is not jealous of other gods. How silly would that be? (laughs) He's not jealous of other people. He's jealous for people. And it's important that we make that distinction and truly understand what this is all about and what it means that God's a jealous God. So this Hebrew word for jealous, I'm gonna read a definition that's not earth shattering. One author says this word expresses a very strong emotion whereby some quality or possession of the object is desired by the subject. Jealousy is when you want something. Jealousy is this emotion that means you desire something. Now, it can be a negative thing or it can be a positive thing. I'm going give to you, give you some examples about that, but here's a good way to think of it. Think of the word zeal. If your zeal is for another person's property, that's envy. That's not good. That's the, that's the negative aspect of zeal, and that's not what's describing God. But the positive aspect is that if your zeal and your your passion, your desire is for something that is yours, that's a righteous jealousy. There's nothing wrong with that. And that absolutely describes God. He did desire something from Israel and they were his people. So don't think about this as God being jealous of a false God or jealous of people, but he's jealous for Israel. He redeemed them. He was their Savior. They are agreeing to this covenant. God has fully committed Himself to them. He will never fail them, and He expects them to reciprocate. He desired that. He desired their love and their faithfulness. He is jealous for it. It's very similar to a marriage. If a husband has zeal for another man's wife, that is wrong. That is envy. Nothing good comes of that. He has no right to that lady. He has no claim to that lady. But he does have claim to his wife, and she has claim to him. A husband and a wife should be jealous for the affections of one another. Both of them deserve that. They deserve that love and that faithfulness, and that's what God desired from Israel. That's why religious idolatry is often depicted as spiritual adultery throughout the Old Testament. It's just like a husband or wife cheating on their spouse. If the Israelites bowed down to an idol, they were cheating on Yahweh. They were unfaithful to him. And he's jealous for them. He's jealous for their worship. Not only does he deserve it because he's the only God anyway, but because of that covenant relationship they had, there should have been a love and a faithfulness there. He just redeemed them from slavery. There's nothing wrong with that type of jealousy fact it's right I would argue that if a husband is not jealous for his wife's affection there's something wrong with him and they don't have much of a marriage so the importance or part of the importance of this command has to do with God's character and what he deserves but it's also very serious because of the consequences of idolatry in our lives I want you to look back in verse 5 and let's just start in the middle of verse Right after the phrase of "I am a jealous God," God continues, and He said, "Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me." Idolatry is serious because it carries generational consequences. Now, there's a couple layers here I want you to see because it can be misunderstood as well. But first, this does not mean that God does not punish the fathers for their own idolatry. That's not at all what this verse is saying. It also does not mean that you are punished for someone else's sins. Individually, each man, woman, boy, and girl answers for his or her own sins. There's a verse in Deuteronomy 24 that Moses would later write that says this. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Seems fair, right? This verse does not contradict that, okay? This verse in Exodus does not contradict that in Deuteronomy. But this is a warning and a reminder of a couple of important truths. First is that one man's sin or one generation's sin absolutely affects other people. Nobody sins in a vacuum. It's not possible. We think of the life of David, and he's one of the best examples of this. When he sinned with Bathsheba and caused the murder of her husband Uriah, His family and ultimately the entire kingdom of Israel suffered greatly for years to come. God didn't overlook that. He brought judgment. Secondly, we should take this as a strong reminder about the importance of raising your children to love the Lord. The ancient world is proof that idolatry becomes ingrained in society. That's why Israel is going to be so weird and strange. They would have been the only people not idolatrous. And so don't take from this verse that God would punish what we might call, quote, innocent generations for no reason, through no fault of their own, you know, uh, without purpose. We're far too naive if we think that a generation that is raised in idolatry will grow up, and when they become adults just magically throw off idolatry and serve the true God out of faith. Now, I'm not saying that that can't happen individually. I hope you know that. I am absolutely not saying that individual people cannot make their own decisions to serve and trust God and be saved. 100% you can do that. We're talking about a large-scale, generational, national level, Once idolatry becomes so accepted in society, that's a train rolling downhill that's going to be really difficult to stop. And the ancient world is proof of that. And God can and will bring large-scale judgments that extend beyond one generation. He has every right to do that. And sadly, boy, this is so sad. That's exactly what happened in Israel's history. They never got over this. Not until the Babylonian captivity did they ever ultimately put away their idols. So for generation after generation, they constantly struggled with idolatry. They neglected to raise their children to love the Lord. So it's just this snowball that's growing as it rolled downhill. And ultimately, it led God to judging them to the point where he just removed them from the land he gave them. Idolatry is serious because generational consequences can occur, but thankfully, let's read verse six, right? Enough of the bad news. The reverse is true as well, and God's mercy outruns his wrath. Look at verse six, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I read one commentator who mentioned that this is one of, if not the largest um, number contrasts in the Bible from three to four generations to thousands, and I love that. That's the extent of God's steadfast love. Your translation may say mercy here. It may say loving kindness. It may say love or covenant faithfulness, and that's my favorite Hebrew word here I've talked about from time to time, that we do not have a single English word that can capture everything this Hebrew word has in it. There there are aspects of love, kindness, grace, mercy, loyalty, faithfulness. Just put it all in that one word. It's like a big fruit salad. It's one big dish, but it takes a lot of different kinds of fruit to make it up. And you might get a spoonful and taste some orange in one bite, and the next spoonful, you might taste some grape, there may be contexts where there's some more loyalty involved in this word. There may be contexts where there's a little bit more love involved in this word, but it's all in there. It's one big great dish. So think about this, that just like idolatry can just steep itself in society and invite God's wrath for generations, thankfully being faithful to God, loving him, can also become a generational thing, even beyond generations, and attracting God's loving kindness in his favor. Why would you ever worship an idol when you could choose to worship this God who has unending loving kindness? The Jews were never to craft an image and worship it. What about us? What about us today? Are we still bound by this command? Well, in short, yes. The New Testament repeats this for us. The letter of 1 John closes with this command. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's really all we need. Keep yourself from idols. Abstain from them. If we even begin to remotely understand how big God is, why would we even think we could craft an image that could possibly represent him? I read one commentator this week. (laughs) He said, Yahweh is the God who cannot be copied. I almost titled the sermon that, the God who cannot be copied. So no matter how artistic you are, no matter how many great materials you have, no matter how long you take crafting this, the true God cannot be contained or represented by an image. He can't be copied. He's too big for that. I want you to listen to how Paul described God to Timothy. Paul said that he alone has immortality. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. How are you going to craft an image of a God you can't even see? Abstain from idols. Now that definitely... Prohibits worshiping little statues. But also from the New Testament, we learn in Colossians chapter three that idolatry does not necessarily mean bowing down to a little statue. It's not limited to that. Paul told the Colossians to put to death what is earthly in you. And then he specifically noted covetousness, which is idolatry. There's that bad side of jealousy, that envy side of it. If you're coveting something, if you're envious for something that's not yours and you have this passionate desire for something, that it becomes your fixation and your ultimate pursuit and desire, that is your God. That's your idol. And that's why modern-day idolatry is so dangerous, especially, I think, in America, because I don't ever see anybody, I've never seen anybody in, in our culture carrying around a little statue bowing down to it. Now, there may be people that do that, but I don't see that frequently. But you don't have to kneel in front of a statue to be an idoler, uh, to be an idol worshiper. You're an idol worshiper if God does not hold the top priority in your life. You don't have to bow your knee. You just have to bow your heart to someone or something else. So guard your heart and Pray that no idol ever overtly shows up or even covertly sneaks in to your life to, unthrone, uh, to unseat or dethrone God from the top spot in your life. You serve God alone, and you do so through faith. There's one more application I want to make before we close. It has to do with our corporate worship. The Jews were not to worship God with the aid of any idol image. So what about us when we come to church corporately, right? When we're here together. Well, when Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, he taught about worship. It wasn't in the context of idolatry, but we can definitely make application from what he told her. I want you to listen to what he said. In John 4, Jesus said, the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus was clear that worship is a spiritual thing. Making images and worshiping them turns something spiritual into something physical. Being able to see an image of, of the God you say that you're serving and worshiping removes any element of faith. But the author of Hebrews said that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And Jesus would later tell Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We do not need any idol images to aid our worship because we are worshiping in spirit and in truth and with faith. Now, someone might disagree, and they may say, Brother Matt, it's not an idol of a false god. We'll make a statue of Jesus. That's not idolatry if it's a statue of him. Well, I want you to turn to Exodus 32. It did not take the Jews very long before they tried that. Exodus 32. This is less than a month and a half later. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man, uh, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron refused, and he quoted the second commandment. No. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Do you see that word Lord being in all capital letters? It is a feast to Yahweh. To Aaron and the people of Israel, this golden calf was not some random God. This golden calf was Yahweh, the one who took them out of the land of Egypt. If you remember remember the story, this idolatry and the things associated with it, it, God has to sort of interrupt what he's doing with Moses on the mountain and send Moses back down. And Moses is so angry that he breaks the tablets of the covenant because it's not even two months into this and the Israelites have already broken the covenant. This is precisely what God prohibited. It was wrong for the Jews to make an idol even if they called the image Yahweh. Yahweh. He can't be copied. And if you think that type of idolatry is no longer a thing, you've never stepped into a Catholic church or other Orthodox churches. Most, if not all, Catholic sanctuaries and cathedrals are filled with statues of Jesus and Mary and the apostles and and so forth. And it's, it's a sad thing because so many people throughout the centuries have been fooled into believing that that statue is Jesus and that being close to that statue and kneeling down to it and bowing down to it will aid their prayers and empower their prayers and make them feel closer to God. It's idolatry. Did you know the Catholic Church skips this command in the list of the Ten Commandments? You can look it up. They they skip this command but make the 10th command about coveting into two commands so there's still 10 but there's nothing about images. And it's also really sad when I think about that because you can see how throughout history idolatry has seized more generations. Because it's powerful. But just as that golden calf was not Yahweh, those statues are not Jesus. Paul wrote to the Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. No statue that we make can copy him. I want you to look at Psalm 115. Here's what happens to idol worshipers. Let's start with verse 4, Psalm 115, verse 4. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. What does all that mean? It means that idols don't fulfill their purpose for which they were created. What's the point of having an ear if it can't hear? What's the point of having an eye if it can't see? What's the point of having a mouth if you can't talk? The the idols have all these things, but they don't function. Look at what the psalmist said next. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. If you serve or worship an idol, you are just like that idol in that you too are not fulfilling the reason you were created. You were created to worship God. You were created to love him and love others. Idols are created and they don't fulfill their purpose. And if you worship idols, you also do not fulfill your purpose. You were created to love God and to worship him and to have a relationship with him. But your sin separated you from him. Thankfully, the creator clothed himself with flesh, became a man, Jesus Christ. And you can repent. You can place your faith in him. And he will save you. You don't need to see a picture of him. You don't need to see a statue of him. We don't even know what he looked like other than he was a normal first century Jewish man. You just need faith. One day you will see him. When he returns, the whole world will see him. And Paul wrote to the Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the lordship of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. Bow in faith today and accept him as your savior before he comes again and you bow in terror Bow in faith now. Let's stand. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Prepare for an invitation. Father, we just can't begin to understand all the depths of this passage and the the devastating effects of idolatry. I pray that you will help us to be faithful people, faithful worshipers as a church, but also faithful individually. Help us not to succumb to modern-day idolatry where we put other things ahead of you. And our worship, Lord, help it to always be done in spirit and in truth and through faith. Help us to realize that We're the created ones made for the purpose of loving and worshiping you. We recognize that you're our creator, Lord. Thank you for sending Jesus to redeem us. Thank you so much for your love. I pray for someone today, Lord, who has never been saved. Convict them this morning, Lord, and pray that they will repent and trust you. Forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen.